This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Escape Patch, the podcast formerly known as Dune Pod. This week, Jason's on assignment, so we're joined by Escape Patch graphic designer, Catcher. That's a misquote. That's a misquote, but continue. And by my old dungeon master, Brian Mosley. It felt a little out of order and maybe uh, as if, you know, teenage boys had imagined the order in which a woman dons her garments. We cover the 1981 animated science fiction rock and roll classic, Heavy Metal. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want, and a Patreon where you can support us and unlock exclusive perks. Links are in the show notes. And now, without further ado, Heavy Metal. <laughs> Brian! Blue Oyster Cold. Yeah. That's the soundtrack <laughs> of my uh, late teens and early 20s. How many times at your house late at night, you know, <laughs> throwing on after maybe Interstellar 555 was over, uh, you know, after some Daft Punk, throwing some Blue Oyster Cold? Absolutely. Taking a break before throwing Flash Gordon on at 4 a.m. and ordering pizza. <laughs> exactly. Before we fire off Korgoth uh, of yeah. Barbaria. Nobody told me there'd be this much talking. <laughs> At least, uh, at least it wasn't Jethro Tull. Catcher, how are you with Jethro Tull? You know, the rock band, prog rock band with a flute. With a flute, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, I, my dad um, loved them. Loves really? them. Loves them, yeah. He <laughs> sure. grew up loving them. Uh, so I know about them, but mostly just that like one song. What's it called? Uh, Aqualung. Aqualung. Aqualung, yeah. I've not heard anything else. Okay. But how can you hate, uh, how can you hate a flute? It, it's very difficult. It's very yeah. difficult to hate a flute. Uh, and art, by the way, is probably pulling his hair out right now. If you were, uh-huh. if you were hearing this conversation, so we, we won't did I it. did I last when we recorded on Monday? Did I tell you the story of the saxophone at the wedding I went to? Play it, sax man. Kick it, sax man. <laughs> I don't no? think so. Okay, okay. I have to tell you this because this is like the most genius wedding hack in the history of wedding hacks. Okay. So they didn't have a. They had a band. Things got postponed, so they didn't get a band. They just got a DJ. But then what Mm -hmm. they also did was hired a saxophone player, just a sax player. So the DJ would play, but the sax player was live just playing along. Playing along. And Mm -hmm. it just adds a dimension (laughs) for like a significantly lower price. Yeah. Like it just – all of a sudden it feels like a bigger experience just with the sax guy. So I shouldn't be telling this people – because this should be my secret that I've just learned. But now, everyone, <laughs> if you're getting married, this is the hack. Just so, hire a sax guy and a DJ. You're I, I actually really appreciate that because I'm having a wedding party in a couple of months. And we're not even getting the DJ. We're just going to plug the iPod in with the, the oh, iPod, the iPhone in with a mix. But if we get a sax player, it really sounds like it's going to add something. It honestly. Fucking play something, sax man. That's right. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> it was unreal. Like it was just all of a sudden it felt bigger. And more important. So that's a tip. Back in 2014, uh, when I was doing Berlin style ping pong um, in <laughs> an intramural league in San Francisco, I was Seriously. also 
was also doing some karaoke and there's a karaoke DJ uh, named DJ Purple and he is a DJ and a sax player. And so he oh. would do karaoke with the saxophone. So like when I get up there to do my, my jam, which as everyone knows is Careless Whispers and I have a live saxophone to that, like forget it. Mm. It's over. Life Matt, what was what was the uh, what was the karaoke song that you were lined up for the night that the entire cast of Rent came in right before me? And you had to follow. I had, them? I had to follow yeah. the cast of Rent, ladies and gentlemen. San Francisco's cast of Rent, Seasons uh. of Love. So yeah, and they all sang. <laughs> they destroyed the bar, like the Mint. There were like a hundred people in there. Went absolutely insane. And then they jumped off the stage and they all turned around to support me. As that saxophone came in and I sang careless whispers and they were with me all the way until I butchered the high note at the end and just the cringing faces I'll, I'll carry with me to my grave. <laughs> <laughs> they all smelled something bad right at the same time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that back to my attention. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, you guys were pretty excited about this one. Um, this is our third episode of escape hatch. And as you know, we were formerly Dune pod. Uh, This is episode 153, and for a long time, I've had up on the board the 1981 animated science fiction rock and roll cult classic, Heavy Metal. (laughs) (laughs) Cue the flute. Uh, Yeah, right, right. (laughs) So, so Brian, this one you've seen a million times. We'll talk about it, and Catcher uh, has never seen it up until this week, so we are going to get all in there. And, of course, welcome back to the pod, our two heroes of our Cloud Atlas episode, Catcher and Brian. We survived. Guys, go listen to that Cloud Atlas episode. It's really good, actually. Okay. Oh, I'm glad. it, it, It aged well. Yeah, I love it actually. And that was one of the first Kev's question ones, I think, or when he, that was when, maybe when we introduced the sounder. So it's a little piece of history. So we'll be getting to heavy metal in just a second, but before we do next week on Escape Hatch, Ryan Condal returns, showrunner of the House of the Dragon. He's taking a break to get on with us and to record. So Ryan joined us. Uh, for Terminator, Terminator 2, for Aliens, for Tombstone. So he's taken some of the most iconic films um, out there. And now it is time to up the stakes yet again as we tackle Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. Khan! Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so Wrath of Khan coming next week. Ryan Condal. Can't wait to see him uh, and catch up with him. So. How about if we do some Hatch news? Would you like to know more? All right. We actually have some serious Dune news to talk about. The trailer dropped this morning as of recording this uh, tonight. And so we've had a chance to, you know, to digest it. I only watched it once. I know, you know, we'll see where, where you guys have landed. So tell me what you think. Goosebumps. I got goosebumps. Mm. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I come from this, like, uh, I think I've said a million times, I don't come from this from a Dune angle. This is a Denny Villeneuve angle. Mm. This is my, I love and cherish this man's work with all my heart, my fellow Canadian. And uh, it's gorgeous, and it got me hyped. Um, Javier Bardem, what's his character's name? Stilgar. Stilgar, when he is, 
like talking about how he doesn't believe or sorry, he believes and he doesn't care. I was just like, I'm in, sign me up. This is, oh, I'm heart pumping, goosebumps, the whole thing. I'm very excited. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Danny Haas, uh, famous 70 millimeter, like medium liker. I think he was a three star on the first Dune said he also got chills. So that, that was, that was quite uh, impressive. Brian, how about you? What'd you think? Um, I, I, thought that this podcast got rebranded to something other than Dune Pod, so I didn't watch the trailer. But <laughs> oh, I'm, no. I'm looking forward to getting chills when I do watch it. We should <laughs> okay. do a live react. <laughs> you, you can call us back with the chills. Uh, we'll get that established. I also got very excited, as you heard. I'll just say quickly, the music absolutely got me. Um, like. Hans, Hans, real, especially towards the back half of the trailer, Hans just like achieving total liftoff. All the Chani stuff in there, putting her first and foremost right up front. And then finally, I have been going back to our Dead Zone episode, a noted Christopher Walken skeptic. Um, I've been afraid uh, of whether or not that would work. And I'm thrilled to say he looks amazing. It's working. Working yes. big time. I was. I had the same concerns you did. He, it is working, and I am here for it. Uh, I was not a fan of the score the first time I watched the movie. Oh. I really did not connect with it in any way. Too intense. And I am. I. I think it was like the choraling and the voices and stuff. It just seemed uh-huh. like too on the nose. Um, but I have changed since that viewing my feelings and it's growing on me more and more. And this was like sold. I'm back on, I'm back on Hans, Hans's team. Mm. Yeah. It's just, yeah. The whole thing. You guys are getting my blood boiling. Yeah. No kidding. Well, wait till you see it. Um, it's like, it's epic as hell. I mean, that's definitely when Denise said that it was like a bigger, more intense, epic war movie. Um, we, we definitely landed there. All right, are you guys ready to get into this movie? Yeah. Born ready. Woo! God damn. How, how was that? <laughs> now, we're, now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. All right, let's do it. Heavy Metal is the witnessing of the eternal struggle between good and evil. This time, that battle will be faced by a young girl orphaned when her father is killed by a mysterious artifact he brought her as a present. Transforming into the Lochnar, the ultimate evil, this artifact reveals its form and power to the girl through a series of interconnected stories in an attempt to break her will. These tales will visit the mean streets of 25th century New York, a fantasy landscape with rampaging alien hordes, the corridors of a giant space station being torn asunder, and ending with the rise of a powerful new warrior challenging the Lochnar itself. Will her spirit be broken in the final ascendance of evil, or will she rise up and destroying it, casting it aside as nothing more than a piece of inert heavy metal? Okay, so let's get into this. Uh, Brian, tell us about your history with heavy metal. Oh, man. Um, I think I was like 15 or 16 when I discovered the comic book shop in Fort Mill, South Carolina, one town over. And uh, what was it called? 
Oh uh, God, I don't remember. I'm I'm way too old to remember that fact. Okay. But, okay. Um, it was the Fort Mill comic shop to us, and we would um, occasionally hitch a ride at my buddy Jason's um, with his mom to go to Fort Mill and um, and check out the comic shop. And I'm pretty sure that that's the first place I saw heavy metal on the on the rack. And uh, just like in the movie, the um, there was <laughs> there was a lot of uh, enticing imagery for a teenage boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and I remember just like falling in love with, uh, with, with it and flipping through it and seeing all the different stories and stuff. And it was like forbidden fruit. We were never actually allowed to buy it um, right. at that time. Um, but you know, when I, when I got older and I went off to college, um, uh, I started to purchase it for my very own. And then, um, at, you know, comics experience, um, mm. I, th- I don't actually remember if it was being published by the time that we're, uh, that I was living in San Francisco in the late nineties. But, um, I think that was the first comic magazine that mm-hmm. wasn't just like a 22 page book mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that um, turned me onto the fact that um, that there were like anthology style uh, yep. stories and uh, publications. And so um, I just remember like Conan style dudes with laser guns and lizard things and, you know, N- half naked women ladies. and all that, yeah. all that good stuff. Yeah. So yep. that's it's a bunch of fond images flashing through my brain from 30 years ago. And then the movie and then the movie. I don't remember the first time i saw the movie it's just like like i think it's the same thing i said with conan it's just always been there mm-hmm. you have this photographic memory where you know that you were in the theater at you know 12 13 a.m <laughs> or whatever when you first saw something um for me it's just flashes um but okay. it was always one of the movies that we put on late at night at the yeah. party or whatever and so i've probably i don't know i've probably seen it 30 times and yeah. And I'm the, I'm sure I'm the only person that I know other than maybe you who's seen it back to front and can tell you what every, everything that happens in it. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. All right, very good. Catcher, what about you? Yeah, like you mentioned, this is my first time watching it, but I was very excited. Like, I knew about it somehow, like mm-hmm. through the ether of our shared consciousness, I guess, and probably seeing images, what's it called? Uh, not air spray. What's it called? What's a uh, spray like air spray paint? Not spray paint, but like when you do it to the side Graffiti? of a no, like on the side of a van. What's it called? Why do I always forget this word? A uh, mural. No, it doesn't matter. Point is, I've I've seen <laughs> images of it. You know, uh-huh. uh, I I own airbrush. The v- airbrush. Airbrush. Thank okay. you. Jesus. I've seen images airbrush on the sides of nerd vans. Probably. Um, oh yeah. I own the VHS, which I got through some sort of weird VHS trade uh, many, many years ago. Uh, so I have that, but I've never watched it that way. Mm. Uh, but it's got that cool, like, holographic uh, slip box, slip case. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was just really excited to deep dive. And then once I started the quick deep dive, not to go further, but, like, there's a Cana- a very deep Canadian connection Big time. to this movie. So I was very excited to learn about that. So Hell I'm sure yeah. we'll get into it. But yeah. oh, We will definitely get into it uh, in just a second. Catcher, do you yeah. remember what you traded for it? Uh, you know what? It's one of these things where it wasn't like a tr- proper trade. It was like uh, someone was like, oh, I have all these weird old things. And I was like, I love old things. Can I have them? So I got a bunch of like cassette tapes. <laughs> which were mostly not good. It was like, I got Bruce Springsteen, but it was like Tunnel of Love, which like, who wants Tunnel uh, of Love? And some other, like, the worst albums of good artists, mm-hmm. and then uh, Heavy Metal <laughs> and uh, Yellow Submarine on VHS. So, okay, a good trade, a good trade. One of the, one of the animators of this movie worked on Yellow Submarine. Oh, really? Um, you won't be surprised to find out, so... 
Okay. Yeah. So I saw this early 80s. This is, I mean, I think what happened, I can't really tell. Like my dad used to bring home tons of movies because he had a friend that had a like home theater shop in Daytona Beach, probably in like Holly Hills, uh, Florida, um, just north of Daytona where we lived. And um, he would like bring home stuff because he would get pirated videos all the time. That's how we got Star Wars in 78. <laughs> um, and so I just, I think I saw that or Reed and Rennie, like one of them brought it home because they were four years older than me. They would have been 15 by that point. Um, but I saw it early, like by the time I was 12 or something. And same thing, very fascinated, you know, Stars and Stripes Forever was probably the only thing I really remembered um, from the movie initially uh, for the first couple of watches. All right, so let's get into this. So as you called out, this is based on the sci-fi magazine Heavy Metal, um, which started publishing in 1977. It was actually a U.S. reprint of Metal Hurlant, a.k.a. Catcher, you speak French. No, I'm just Canadian. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> You're not from Quebec, I know. I'm I know. not from Quebec. But I believe it just translates to Heavy Metal, doesn't it? Howling Metal. Oh, I learned whoa. I learned today. I did not know that. That's very cool. Howling metal. Uh, yeah, and it was actually published by Humanoids, um, which was created by a number of folks, but it especially Mobius. And I think it was one of the things that Mobius did after Jodorowsky's Dune had flamed out, created Humanoids and teamed up with Jodorowsky to start making comics and then also uh, into this. The movie was produced by, as you described, like noted Canadian legend Ivan Reitman. Amazing. Listen to this, listen to this uh, setup here. Animal House, Stripes, Ghostbusters, Twins, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, Dave, Junior, Six Days, Seven Nights. Woo! <laughs> Old School, I Love You Man, and Up in the Air. Plus like licensing the new Ghostbuster movies and whatever. The guy, the guy killed it. Oh, well, Yeah. Amazing. So a true legend. Um, and he basically wanted to put together a situation. They got a bunch of different uh, animation studios. They used different studios for each vignette. Um, and they also had the idea of creating a new story as the wraparound for the anthology. And that was the Lochnar uh, that they created. Well, not just that, but it, apparently it was at the time because he had done Animal House, mm -hmm. and which was National Lampoon. Right, and so right. they also owned, I guess, the rights to print in America, I guess yes, was the thing. Yep. So he, th that's how he was sort of introduced to it and was like, oh, we should make a sort of adult animated film. That would be fun. Maybe Funny we'll and and like sci-fi fantasy. Right, exactly. Well, like playing with all of his strengths and also a little bit like with, a, with an intent to do something more adult. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, like you said, they wrote that original story to wrap it, but they had like, they'd based them all originally on actual scripts, like actual yes. issues, but then yep. some of them were denied. Right. So some of them are just made by them. Like the, the first one, well, not the first one, I guess technically the, like the first of the, like the cab, the fifth element one is completely yeah. their own, which is amazing. Yeah, 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 totally. All right, well, we're going to get into it. I, last thing I'll say behind the scenes, uh, $9 million budget made $20 million, um in uh, box office and then went on to be a classic. And who knows how much money it's made in DVDs and VHS copies still floating around uh, at Catcher's house. That's right. <laughs> so, all right. So we start off with Soft Landing. This is based on a comic by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote Jodorowsky's Dune. 
when that fell apart, he wrote Alien. He also produced and wrote Return of the Living Dead. I think he might have directed that um, as well. Um, but we open in space and we have this voiceover. A shadow shall fall over the universe and evil will grow in its path and death will come from the skies. And then we just have, uh, you know, this space shuttle opening and a 1959 Corvette coming out, driven by a spaceman in a spacesuit. Sign me up. That's <laughs> all the things I need in my life. <laughs> You're like, this is working. Yeah. Give me spacemen. Anytime I can get a space cadet in a movie, is I'm ready to go. I'd forgotten because it had been so long since I'd seen the movie, uh, and it was so great. And this song, Radar Rider by Riggs, fucking amazing killing it absolute jams there's jams all the way through this thing yeah i was surprised at how how music forward uh this was i guess it's not surprising but guys it's called heavy metal yeah exactly <laughs> yeah okay thank you fair enough now is that where uh, heavy metal came? that's not where heavy metal came from oh i have no idea maybe it's just a happy coincidence okay wow that's wild now i uh, i feel like i read somewhere and maybe you can disabuse me of this, that Elon was a fan of the movie and that was the car in space thing. My note said, fuck you, Elon. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he ruined that for me uh, just Aww. a little bit, but it's still, it's still epic. And the, the Corvette coming down and then I love it. It lands and then the parachute deploys. So funny. So funny. <laughs> and I love that it's like uh, the car and the person is live action, but everything else is yeah. illustrated. So it's this amazing already, like we're getting a, a, a unique animation style for just even this intro sequence, which was so great. Totally. Totally. So he drives around, he gets to a farmhouse and he gets out and we have our second segment called Grimaldi. And so this is the astronaut has brought his daughter a present. Oh, what is it? And then he opens it up, and it's the Loch Nahr. It's this green floating sphere, um, and he is instantly hyper-mega-dead. <laughs> so cool. So yes. cool. How the did that grab you? The way he melts, I was like, this is going to be the best movie I've ever seen. Mm. Because it's just, oh, the, 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 just the way, the way he falls apart. It's mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah. Little did you know, Catcher, that you needed to start the melting counter at this point. This was number right. one of many. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Who knew? I didn't know. I was very excited, though. Yeah, totally. And it's his daughter. I thought it was like a girlfriend, but that makes more sense, actually, given what we. Yeah. By the end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing that, that I didn't like about the scene was he looked like such a schlub. Um, like, I wanted him to be cool when he took off the helmet. Like, it should have been Ryan Gosling, uh, you know, and instead it was like Russell Crowe. Yeah, but a smart guy wouldn't have brought this weird, strange alien thing home. Fair fair enough. You know? Fair enough. Also, at no no point in this movie is are there attractive people like as as drawn <laughs> as such. They're, yeah. yeah, they're all like they all have like sweat lines and you know big wrinkles and you know maybe you guys can explain to me um, the the animation style or the animation choices or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but that's something that I always, that has always stuck with me as I've watched this movie many times over my life. They didn't try to make it look sexy or look well. Well, in certain teenage, in certain teenage boy ways they did, but right. not in a, in mature adult ways did they try to make it look visually attractive in like a traditional way. And and I'm curious about those choices, so maybe you can clue me in. 
Catcher, yeah. do you have a you have a quick reaction? Well, just that, like I think, um, what, like the styles are are based. They're all illust like based on illustration styles. So, like mm-hmm. t- taking those illustrations and turning it into motion. I think part of the ugliness comes from it's not high quality animation in terms of like number of frames and smoothness of motion. So I think right. the budget of what they could do. Yeah, part of that is what's making it ugly. Um, but then the uh, the characters, yeah. I mean, everyone in this is a deadbeat. So, <laughs> yeah, it made me think of uh, um, like American Splendor, you know, like um, or that that style of like seventies underground kind right. of stuff, where right, it's like right. deliberately. Indie. Yeah. Well, a lot of this stuff, a lot of these artists. I mean, I I'd be speaking out of turn maybe to say this, but like a lot of it was underground stuff. Like maybe in France, maybe it was more mainstream. Uh, mainstream, but at least here, like that stuff was for not sure. regular. Yeah. Well, and and specifically, I, I didn't get a chance to fully research this, but apparently there was a there was a loophole in the comics code that allowed them to tell these stories with nudity and sex and outrageous violence. Mm. And it might have been the fact that it was in magazine format and it wasn't like a small comic. Um, mm, yeah, but but definitely. They, they go for that here. So we now transition into the second major story, which is Harry Canyon. Um, this is what you described uh, earlier, Catcher, as the fifth element. And that makes sense because it's based on The Long Tomorrow by Mobius. And right off the bat, the music here as we're introduced to New York. This is Veteran of the Psychic Wars by Blue Oyster Cult. You see me now, veteran of a thousand psychic wars. And it just looks uh, incredible. Um, and this is as we're getting the um, you know, the professor digging up and finding the Lochnar and sending his crew to retrieve it and watching them get melted. Um, and then we cut over to New York City and we see these real Fifth Element vibes. What was your impression, Brian, watching it again now? Um, this is definitely my favorite. Uh, well... It's one of my favorites of the vignettes, and it's unavoidable that you're thinking about Fifth Element the entire time, um, you know, uh, because that's become so, such a part of, um, I don't know, whatever the last 15, 20 years of um, of watching amazing movies on Saturday afternoons or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I had those two things kind of almost like sitting next to each other in my brain. Um, but also the, like the, the dialogue, one of the things I thought was that the dialogue was like really sparse. You know, like uh-huh. f- few words uh, to communicate um, ideas. And I don't know, it was very, obviously very kind of noir. And I like the economy of it. Like ta- taxi driver or something, you know, where you're just yeah. like, not literally because a taxi driver, but, you know, this idea of like with the voiceover and he's sort of like relaying what the story is going on. Yeah, I thought this is what I think my favorite for sure. I was laughing about how much New York City of 2023 looks like yeah <laughs> the new york city that they're portraying because it's just like there's garbage and rats everywhere to the extent <laughs> that we have a rat czar who has uh-huh. launched wave two of the war on rats okay so we're not far off all right <laughs> yeah. yeah let's make it let's make it um so speaking of the voiceover the dialogue is hilarious so we have harry canyon played by richard romanus uh who was in wizards uh that i want to do another uh indie sci-fi animated film that's Bakshi. Ooh, nice he says yeah New York, big deal. Scum center of the world. Now they're even talking about letting in low lives from other planets too. And so it's like he's a kind of a crank, 
Um, and I love this where he, this is another thing that really stuck out to me when he gets stuck up by a punk guy who tries to pull a gun on him and he has the vaporizer that melts that dude. Uh, so that's number two in the, in our vaporizer count. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, we need a sounder for that. Uh, as we make it. um, and so he ends up picking up the, the professor from the previous scene uh, when he is killed. And so she passes out in the back of his cab. I love this. He just carries her over his shoulder into the police station. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and not a great, like, and sort of this re- interesting relationship with first, like, the sex workers that are there when he comes in, or at least yeah. my assumption. I yeah, think, yeah, right, yeah. Right. That's the idea. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, because they they ask him right. So, yeah. And uh, and then the cop is like, he's not willing to take this person in without a payment of like a thousand dollars or something. And right, a day, a thousand dollars a day just to do an investigation. Right, right. Which he's not interested in. Right. So that's just like the 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 sort of situation with the police. There's also very uh, interesting times. Really, don't feel like really cool. That much. Yeah, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like RoboCop, right? The idea of of kind of like a privatization uh, of the police. Right. I also love little details like there's the alien that's getting arrested. Yes. You, you're an American citizen. I, I just lost my papers or something. Goddamn illegal aliens. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is timely stuff here. Matt, is there a conservative agenda here that we need to uncover? I mean, we got all into it with uh, Back to the Future, so I, I think we're covered uh, for this season. <laughs> So now he takes her to here. It takes her to his home, and we have Journey's open arms. Um, mm. As he's like, whatever, like eating food while she's sitting on the couch, and uh, you know, basically totally ignoring her. And then he gets in bed, um, and she immediately is naked with him. And this is again very noir. Sucker player, not. I must have turned around something fierce, because this dame was going for broke. <laughs> Or maybe it was her first time with a New Yorker, I don't know. Anyway, nothing can beat good old American know-how. And I was given this broad, the stars and stripes, forever. The worst. It's so funny because it's like, you almost like, it is satirical a bit, but Uh it's also like, it's not. It's just a bunch of dudes who just really wanted to draw naked ladies because that's what, what most pervy comic artists want to do. Not pervy. I mean, you know, if you can draw things, you want to draw the things you like and that makes sense. But it's just, it's funny. Like it does find a weird balance between being gross and being satirical. Mm-hmm. And maybe because I'm a man or, you know, someone who likes the <laughs> what they're showing that I'm giving it a pass in my head. I'm uh-huh. not sure. I'm not sure yet. I haven't decided, but okay. Uh, once that started, I was like, oh, this is going to be, it's going to be like this, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and it just continues to be that way. <laughs> totally. Totally. So basically, this is, it plays out as, a, as what we would expect in a standard piece. You know, he has to go find her. She leaves. He finds her. Um, they're going to sell the uh, the item, the Lochnar, to the guy that killed her father for 300 grand. That Brooklyn Bridge, was that Brooklyn Bridge, Brian? That was abandoned? No, no clue. Sure. Generic okay. New York Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge. There's I assume so many of them. I assume Brooklyn has been destroyed, but um, you know it's it's abandoned. And basically, Rotnick and I love the design of this guy with like all of the layers of fat and wrinkles mm. on his on his head. Um, but he buys the Lochnar, he opens it up, he gets melted. Um, she tries to uh, betray Harry. He vaporizes her. Ding ding. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, "For me, you put it down as a two day ride." 
but one hell of a trip. <laughs> yeah, love that. Like you said, super noir in that way. Like, mm. okay, mission is done, but the the story's not over. But for now, but this chapter is kind of thing. Mm-hmm. As I was mm-hmm. watching it this last time, I was thinking, okay, well, this one started or the first major vignette ended in a in a upbeat way. Mm-hmm. You know, not for not for all the melted people, but for the, but for the our, our cab driver protagonist. And, yeah, yeah. So it made me it made me sit up a little bit and think how many more of them end in an upbeat way or a, or a happy way for somebody. Uh, right. I couldn't remember, so that made me pay a little more attention again. Yes, and we'll see. All right. Yeah, we'll keep a track. So that's one. That's <laughs> minus one, one for Grimaldi day. and plus one for for Harry Canyon. So now we're back at the farmhouse and the evil, uh, your Lochnar says, I've chosen you because you have powers you do not understand, as we'll find out later. And then we go to the third story, Den. So I had seen like a list of comic artists that were involved with this. And then I was watching it and just taking notes. And I immediately wrote down, this is Richard Corbin. Um, when you see Daniel, the, the teenage kid at the beginning, he's got the glasses on. Like it looks like a Richard Corbin uh, mm. drawing. Um, so I love the fact that it's that that specific. But he's basically this nerdy teenager who finds the Lochnar as a meteor, um, and he applies electricity to it, and he's transported and transformed as he becomes this hairless giant barbarian warrior. <laughs> With the with the uh, narrative voice of John Candy, right? <laughs> with the right, narrative yes. voice of John yes. Candy, yes. <laughs> yes, our first uh, our first SCTV alumni, right? Yeah, so, hell yeah! Very excited. He also played the cop in uh, in the station uh, as well. He's got a lot of parts in this movie. Oh, actually. was he? Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, cool. Just what a talent! Uh, truly, truly uh, gone too soon. Yeah, he was. It's because they were filming Stripes at the same time, and so oh, really, John Candy would just head over whenever he wasn't doing something and record lines for the movie. Oh my god! Amazing! Yeah. Wow. Epic. Yeah. Epic. Uh, so he is now, you know, this big warrior. And so he sees a sacrificial virgin who is being tossed into this pool. And so he jumps in and disrupts the ritual um, and he rescues her. And so uh, it, it's revealed that she's also from Earth. We don't know how she got here. But my notes just say boobs <laughs> in the sense that she's just there completely naked. And then, but his dialogue. She had the most beautiful eyes. <laughs> I wanted to make some conversation, but I found my new self asking the same old stupid questions. Are you from around here? <laughs> I love his his Den voice. I love his Dan voice. It's just funny as shit, man. Yeah, it's like very much uh, sort of like like nerd power fantasy dream mm. thing come to life, like. Every incel has had woken up in a sweat having had this specific dream before, ah. you know, but it's fun. It's that's what's that's what ultimately like I love the most about this was it is at least having fun. And I think that's the thing that Reitman brings to it. That's great is like, OK, yeah, we're going to get all this like over sexualizedness, like which you get even in something modern like Love, Death and Robots. Yeah. But there, this has this like through line that is funny that is satirical that is like of that time period in terms of comedy Mm. like what was popular 
mm-hmm. that someone gives it like a bit of a pass. I think, like I was saying before, like you just you're having fun with it, even though it's a little cringy. Totally. <laughs> Totally. At least for modern audiences. I also love the fact that here we're really, we're now appreciating the genre mashup. This is Mm. third or fourth story and just seeing how they go from, you know, sci-fi to fantasy and and bouncing back and forth. It really models what the, what the comic does, uh, what the magazine does. And I thought that was very cool. And utilizing the styles as well. Mm -hmm. Like this feels like, like the artist that, uh, what was the name of the artist? Richard Corbin. Right. Like that's a very like, high fantasy sort of like conan sort of vibe, right? That's mm-hmm. a little bit so that it's fitting with this kind of story, I think. Brian, you probably remember he did he did a Luke Cage graphic novel that mm-hmm. was like just like a one shot and it was really intense. This was right about the time that you got into Luke Cage. Oh, I read the phone book. Sweet Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so they are captured by Ard's forces and this is the bad guy, one of the bad guys, and he is so hilarious his dialogue well aren't we fierce guards castrate him (laughs) and then he totally den totally wastes those guys so he is going to have him steal lochnar in exchange for getting catherine who he's now kidnapped and he says what if i refuse if you refuse you die she dies (laughs) everybody dies just awesome (laughs) non-committal yeah i love him just sitting in the chair yeah, you know, just being like a like a dickish prince, I guess, or something. Totally. Yeah. To- totally. So he infiltrates the the temple. I love the gag of feeling his way through the dark uh, and discovering boobs. He has <laughs> he has to satisfy the queen, which he does. But then when the Lochner is stolen by the other guys, um, you know, she gets crazy, and the ritual starting. So he interrupts the ritual again. I also love the queen and Ard fighting over the Lochnar. Give it to the me. The Lochnar's mine. It's mine. Don't you say it's yours. It's mine. I don't know what the Lochnar is. It's my Lochnar. One of my favorite parts of this is the the NPC party that he mm-hmm. that he accompanies yeah. to go through the tunnels and like the big, you know, they get eaten by the big monster and stuff. And and the and they're all like um, monster men. The, they are, and so they have like the mongrel man kind of exteriors, but then they all speak like right, you know people right. standing in a line at the movie theater or whatever and <laughs> uh-huh. they, they didn't even bother to give anybody an uh, like a fantasy accent or to make them feel like they're from somewhere else they're just a bunch of like if you're just totally. listening with your eyes closed it just sounds like a bunch of people down the street a bunch of dudes totally yeah. uh so in the end everybody dies uh and he <laughs> flies away and he decides to stay there because here i'm den uh he's a hero and and just candy i think this one might be my favorite um mm-hmm. just in terms of so much fun um and and really really funny doesn't he have that this is the one where he has that line where it's like like he hasn't he'd never been with a single woman and now that he's yeah. been here he's now he's one been day. with two in one day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, so it's great. it's great. Hilarious, hilarious. So we translate from here to Captain Stern. And this one is one that this is the other one that really sticks out just because it has such the memorable line. This is based on a character created by Bernie Wrightson, who is God level um artist. And so we have Captain Lincoln F. Stern, and he's on trial for basically everything. (laughs) Lincoln Stern, you stand here accused of 12 counts of murder, 14 counts of theft, 22 counts of piracy in high space, 18 counts of fraud, 37 counts of rape, and one moving violation. (laughs) How do you plead? Not Not guilty. guilty. And the the crowd goes absolutely wild. (laughs) No, doesn't he say guilty? 
No, not guilty. Oh, I thought he says he's guilty, and then every, his lawyers are pissed off with him. No, his lawyer's pissed because he said not guilty. Oh, he's trying he's trying to get him to change his plea to guilty. Oh, okay. From okay. not because he thinks he's gonna get totally eliminated, but of course I told you, Charlie, I, I got, got a mango. mango. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like a line uh, definitely of my of my mm-hmm. youth. Uh I use that one all the time. And I think we used to Brian back in the day. Mm-hmm. Really good. So you know who did this voice? Catcher, another SCTV alum. Yeah, that's um, what's his name? Uh, oh my god, his name just fell out of my head. Eugene Levy. Eugene Levy. That's right. Yeah. Which it, it does not sound like Eugene Levy at all. At <laughs> all. I was and I was like, what? Because I, I rented this from my local uh, rental shop, so I was yeah. watching the special features, and then they mentioned that it was him, and I was like, are you? Because I'd been looking out for his voice and never heard it. I was like, where is yeah. he in here? And I was shocked to know that that's that's him. He does a great job. Uh, Hex in the chat calls out Zap Brannigan uh, from Futurama, and a hundred percent. That's definitely um, templated on this. So basically, he paid off a star witness uh, for the prosecution. That's Hanover Fist, and this guy who is testifying on the stand, but he has the marble, which is the Lochnar, and so he begins to get very angry and violent. Uh, and you know, he's too good for hanging. He's too good for burning. <laughs> Uh, and he begins to destroy the entire space station trying to get to him. This is like the introduction of the, we're not really sure the rules of the orb. Right. Because the first few have been like, even just touching it will kill you. And in this case, he can just play with it. And I think they mentioned that in the documentary. They're like, we sort of played fast and loose with how this worked. But... You know, neither here nor there. It's cool. And then he eats. Doesn't he eat? Does he eat it, or does he just play with it? Uh, <laughs> I thought I remember him eating now, it. Now I think but. he just plays. I think he just plays with it. But I like the idea that it's up to the Lochnar. You know what its impact is going to be. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it's more fun for it to be capricious and uh, you know alter people. But it's really funny. He basically goes on a Hulk-like rampage and smashes everything um, until at the very end, he runs into to Stern, who then pays him off um, and he settles down and then Stern spaces him, uh, which, I, <laughs> which I love. Also, the shot of his hand holding the Lochnar, it's just, just his hand as it's flying down on fire. So and great. This, is, this is where we have the transition to B-17. Um, this one is very oh, cool. Can I, can I just interject here? Cause, mm-hmm. um, watching the behind the scenes, there is actually, uh, an entire sequence that they had made that fits in right here in between right. these two, right. That they cut, which mm-hmm. sounds like if you guys have ever seen like, Duty, did you watch it? Uh, not the rough cut. No, I watched it. I watched it today. And is it good? It's it's cool. It's basically you know going through the you know the Lochnar lands in this in the ocean and it goes through um, you know evolution from fish all the way up. The vibe I got from what they showed in the documentary was like, have you seen the Pearl Jam video? Do the evolution? I haven't, but I can imagine it. If you look, that that is probably one of the greatest music videos ever made. Easily, it's, Excuse a, it's me. completely animated. Uh, you have to watch it. I would stop this and make you watch it now, but we can continue. <laughs> um, but it sort of like goes through all of human history uh, okay. to the point uh, like uh, the animation goes all the way to, you know, like Hitler, like all of yeah. that. And then yeah. the bomber from this next uh, 
this next sequence is like the planes that Hitler is sort of looking at at the end of that sequence. And that's how they connect. That's uh, definitely, yeah, the concept there. Yeah, uh, so cool. Cool, very dark, yes. uh, very very dark view. So this shots of, of the B-17 flying, um, this is written by Dan O'Bannon and the design was by Mike Plug, um, who we've talked about before on this podcast. He co-created Ghost Rider when he was at Marvel, mm. worked with Bakshi on Wizards and Lord of the Rings and did design work on a bunch of movies, including The Thing. He was the one who designed like the spider head with the long, whatever, neck and, and craziness. Just really awesome. But this music, heavy metal, taking a ride by Don Felder as this B-17 is flying, is just absolutely killer. Yeah. What'd you think, Brian, of this animation, the rotoscoping here? This was another one where it's like live footage mm -hmm. and then and then animated. Yeah, it was awesome. And, um, and the whole tone of the thing took a, like, it started as, um, in the Hanover Fist one, it started to change. Mm -hmm. And now it's going full on dark. And you kind of mm. get a sense of it. Like you get you get a sense that um, things have changed and there's some some kind of creeping uh terror sort of thing that's starting to happen. Maybe it's maybe it's because I've seen it a million times and I actually feel it before. Mm. Um, you know, a noob like catcher would have. But like catcher, how far how far into the plane sequence did you realize that like zombies or crazy shit was about to happen? Not necessarily zombie stuff, but like you do get sort of like ghost shippy vibes, like pretty much right mm -hmm. away. Like they get yeah. a couple people get killed almost instantly. And yeah. then just the, the the whole mood of it is very, uh, yeah, it's very dark. So, you know, they're not safe in there. Even like the ship itself is falling apart. Like as he's sort of sneaking, the main character sort of like sneaking through, there's just holes in the middle of the ship, you know, it's just... Yeah, so you get you get the vibe pretty quickly that this isn't going to be like as fun maybe as the other ones have been. It's so um, I read Storm of War, which is a great World War II documentary, um, and ultimately the reason we won World War II was because of American manufacturing capability. So Ford essentially retooled their assembly line, and they worked twenty four hours a day, and they could produce one B-52 bomber like every 59 minutes or whatever. Oh, wow. Um, and so essentially, we just kept putting them up and they kept shooting them down, but we had we could make more than they could shoot down. Um, same thing with tanks. Like the Germans had much better tanks than us, higher quality, but we had 10X um, because we could produce them faster. Um, and so that was how we, how we basically went at them. Well, that and the bomb, I think. The bomb, the bomb well. that helped later. <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that helped with uh, taming Russia. So this is a very simple story. The co-pilot goes back, the zombies come out, they eat him. Then the pilot is attacked and he jumps out and parachutes down and he lands on an island only to discover that it's filled with undead planes full of undead people. So that's cool. That's a fun little story. It's, it's like uh, like the Bermuda Triangle or something, basically. Totally. Mm, yeah. Lochnar's been working hard. Yeah. But it's a very, it's a nice, simple story. It's kind of, it's, it's a little, uh, you know, like a, a moose-bouche or something in between, um, in between major things. Well, what's <laughs> nice is you're like, okay, it's not all going to be den and fifth element. It's not all going to be jokey and broad. Like so it's going right. to take on a bunch of different kind of, uh, elements, you know, different feels. Yeah. And the undead, the zombies look cool. They do. Yeah. Especially at the end. They look, they look very cool. There's a, there's a moment in there where it gets really quiet. 
And it's mm-hmm. like very kind of peaceful almost and, uh, until the zombies start running. And like, it's very it's a classic kind of zombie movie or monster movie kind of stuff where, you know, they build the suspense with with quiet and then, ah. Totally. Um, yeah, um, so now we go to the next to last story. This is so beautiful and so dangerous. This is based on the comic by Angus McKee. Um, the designs catcher by Neil Adams. Of of Batman fame, among others. Which one was this one? This was the one where it starts with the Pentagon. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, first of all, this CG animation of the Pentagon, this is 1981. This is before Tron. Um, so this CG animation by Systems Simulation Limited is is pretty cool. Yeah, the intro, um, right? Where they yeah. sort of yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's cool. And then you know the backstory here is green radiation is creating mutants, and we have Doctor Anrak coming in to give his briefing, uh, and basically he's like everything's fine, there's no aliens, it's all good. But when he looks across and sees that Gloria, the secretary, is wearing a Lochnar necklace. <laughs> Like, I love this, him freaking out, right? Yeah, very cool. Like, just, it's possessed him, you know? And I guess now that I think about it, he was, he must have been sent there by the, by the aliens. So he runs over, he grabs her, and then a tube comes down and sucks them up into, you know, into the air. And I think this is, uh, I Must Be Dreaming by Cheap Trick playing at this point. And it's just this great scene of them flying all the way through the tunnels. But it turns out he's a robot, right? Um, sent by these folks. A sophisticated sex robot sent back to, through time to change the life of one lucky lady. <laughs> the, the, spa- the, the, uh, the spaceship is great. It lo- it's like a giant happy face. It's so cool. It looks like, a, you know, Mirakami has those like flower face things. Mm. Uh, it looks like that. Looks a bit like that. Very, very fucking cool mm-hmm. design for a spaceship. Absolutely loved it. Um, so now we have the two hippies uh that are driving it as well as the the robot uh played by john candy again but and i love harold, harold ramus as yeah. uh, yep. one of the two hippie guys which is great he's perfect. exactly but the first thing they do is put out a mower full of cocaine they drive it all over <laughs> they call it nyborg it's <laughs> some good nyborg man <laughs> So again, the music here is so killer uh, as they're just flying through space. And it's definitely like a laser Floyd moment with like the asteroids going by and explosions and stuff. This is a stoner movie, right? It's also kind of giving me like space ball vibes mm-hmm. as well yeah. in terms of like, uh, the com- like the comedy aspect of it. Big time. Yeah. Big time. Especially when you get John Candy uh, as the robot in bed yeah. with yeah. Gloria. <laughs> Actually, that must be that. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. After having satisfied her. uh, Yeah. So he's he's killer. In the end, Ramus flies uh, the ship. We have Sammy Hagar, uh, heavy metal. uh, So we're like full throttled as he's flying around and he crash lands the hell out of it. Oh, wow. Good landing, man. And that is the end of that story. Now we go back for the final tale, which is Tarna. This is based on, like, as soon as I saw this, I was like, Mobius, Mobius. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't the design of the bird or anything. It was the way they drew the landscapes with, like, the the lines that they do on the mountains and stuff. I'm like, that is 100% Mobius. Yeah. So this is Arzak that he made. And I believe this was the book that was the influence for Miyazaki to do- Nausicaa. 
Nausicaa. Nausicaa. Yeah. Exactly. Right. She has the thing, the glider that looks like the bird. Right. Um, and her design is very evocative uh, of him. So just absolutely beautiful. Really, really cool. And we have basically there's the Lochnar volcano. Um, and all the people come up to check it out and it explodes and it essentially transforms all the people into death dealers. Death! 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 Death to all who oppose us. That was my slogan for, that was my ironic slogan for quite uh, quite some time in, I don't know, my 20s. Yes. <laughs> I think you might have said that during a meeting when I was like, we need more infrastructure for the web servers. <laughs> one, one of my servers was called Lochnar. Actually, uh, I'm you not may surprised. remember one of my, uh, what was the stupid D&D in space game that we played all the time that my character was called Lochnar. Do, I don't dragon, know if you ever put, uh, what was it dragon yeah. uh, dragon star dragon, dragon star yeah Tra- dragon yeah. star yeah catcher this this was like right after they did d20 which was the open source um you know that changed the entire industry gotcha people could make their own games and so they, they took them the engine and used it to make space games yeah, honestly that's what i would have done so mm. <laughs> i'd rather i'd rather laser guns than swords so and bow and arrow so that would be my vibe for sure of course well, there's now Starfinder based yes. on Pathfinder. That's right. Uh, yeah. So if people want to play that, they can definitely do that. So I do like this notion. They assault the city uh, to the mob rules by Black Sabbath, which fucking awesome. The song just completely rules um, as they're destroying the place. And the scientists, you know, they can't they can't actually pick up, uh, you know, something to fight back. Um, and so they have to summon the last of the Tarakians, Tarna. And so this assault, they use a they chant in order to, to do a summoning. So it's like a mystical element as well as a scientific element. But the giant machine that is slowly rotating is so cool. That was a complete Mobius move um, as well. Of wh- sorry, say that again. What, 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 what did you say? Sorry, I was the, distracted. <laughs> the giant <laughs> machine that is rotating. Uh, there's just like a quick. It's a quick shot of it, but there's a scene at distance, and you see this like a pyramid. Pointing up and down or whatever. Oh, oh, just a yes, very yes. just a very Mobius uh, design. So we cut from there to Tarna flying over this rotoscoped landscape. So again, gorgeous. So cool. Like I mean the anima- the limitations to the animation can be really felt here, but I think by this point I mean if you're not bought in by this point, then it may I can see it being a bit of a distraction. But if you've sort of given yourself up to what's happening in the movie it just adds to this level of like grandeur, um, mm-hmm. which is just so fun, and it, it's great to just watch. Like you said, the landscape's very Mobius, and to see this thing like flying through, and then all of this machinery, and it's getting, it's flying through all these very like complicated paths, and it's just it's so fun. Mm. They were doing so. I'll I'll say I watched this. I bu- I bought the 4K the disc, which also includes movies anywhere. So that unlocks it everywhere. Mm. Um, and it looks unreal in 4K. Like the transfer they did was really really nice. They they cleaned the hell out of it. Um, so I was stoked for that. They also used the Disney technique of having multiple planes, so they could like be zooming on different parts and moving different things. Um, which was not a common technique uh, widely used at that point. But there's a whole long scene of her flying. And then we have this great scene where she comes in and, of course, takes off all her clothes in this mm-hmm. giant temple. Of course, yeah. 
The size of the temple to me was very evocative of scenes in Dune Messiah, where we have descriptions of how the largest building in human history has been constructed. Um, and its only purpose is to give a sense of grandeur and awe. Um, so I love seeing this huge temple that she's in. And then when she you know, takes off her robe and swims across, the music here is so good. Like I love, uh, I love this music. Um, and then she gears up very sensually. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask, um, when I was watching this in the Chakohara, I, I meant to ask uh, the, the, the women in the channel, is this the order in which you don your garments? It felt a little out of order and maybe uh, as if you know, teenage boys had, um, had imagined the order in which a woman dons her garments. Mm. Very limited garments at that. <laughs> Barely garments. It's like it, uh, when she opens up and it sort of reveals, and it's very small, like you said. It's sort of like very high up to give mm -hmm. that sense of scale, which is gorgeous. And you mm -hmm. see, sort of like there seems to be something sort of red or whatever in this. Yeah. Hole. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be. I thought it was gonna be like a mech suit or like a sort of like a like a Metroid kind of thing. Like, and then she just starts uh, starts applying these layers of cloth, you know, various sizes. And I was like, okay, that's the first layer. And then we'll get to the mech suit. And then it's not. She like she puts no, some gloves on and then that's it. She's just wearing four pieces of cloths <laughs> and a pair of boots and a sword. That's it. But it was, was like, very it was very cool looking. Like yeah. the the contrast of the red boots with the black and the, the shoulder like shoulder single, armor. Single shoulder piece. One yeah. piece of shoulder armor. Yeah. yeah, that was that was badass. I was definitely there for that. Yeah. Um, and so I love as she has the costume fully on and she does the pose matching the giant stone statue and all the lights and the lightning and, you know, like she levels up um, and she is ready to go to town. Yeah, like very like He-Man or something. Completely. Yeah. yeah. So she heads to the city only to find that it's dead. Um, there's nobody left alive there. And so she tracks them down to a bar. And my notes when I was watching it was like, who the hell is this band that's playing right now? Because it's hilarious, <laughs> including the guy with like the big weird eyes. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah, they're clearly there. They're it's just... Devo. Oh, yeah. is it? Is it Devo? It's Devo. Oh, yeah. that's cool. They're clearly like, do you want to die or do you want to keep playing music for us? And it's sort of like, we'll <laughs> right. continue to play music for you. Thanks <laughs> yeah, no much. problem. <laughs> yeah, whatever you want. Uh, and the song is Through Being Cool uh, by Devo, which I, mm. uh, which I thought was great. And so she just, she decapitates three dudes with two strokes. Um, <laughs> it's, and so, it's great. <laughs> I just, I again, this is more the limitation of the animation, I'm sure. And the time for it, like how much time they were provided and all that stuff but it's like no one not a single other person in this town could have done exactly what she did it seems a little unrealistic like it seems unlikely but you know this why would they well it's just like she didn't it didn't it never they never do anything to show that she's like particularly like overly skilled at what she does it just so happens that when she swings a sword it works and that's it kind of um it's pretty hard to decapitate like that's a cleave by the way to be able to to be able to hit two opponents with one attack and to do a crit on both of them. Um, okay, so that's it. Cleave and improved crit. Right. Okay. Yeah. Got the whole chain. That's right. Yeah. 
That's fair enough. That's fair oh enough. my God. A quick, quick digression. Brian, when I was describing Catcher and Sophie were on the pod, I think it was for, for the Bones and All episode, and they were talking about how D&D is only just about like having fun and making stuff up and telling stories. And well, I was like, uh, no, 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 no. That's a misquote. A ta- that's a misquote, but continue. <laughs> I was like, D&D is a tactical skirmish war game that is about creating you know, chains of combinations of capabilities uh, across your class, race, character, training, feats, uh, to do maximum damage. That's right. And, and, and being extremely obsessive about, um, how many, like, uh, how many two thirds squares you can move in a, in a given, yes. uh, turn. Yes. Full mini manipulation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, and, and we got to the point when we were playing in Brian's campaign, when we were doing fourth ed, um, literally our group of five or four or five of us, we would roll into combat and we had plays that we knew we would do. I'm going to step in and I'm going to do this. Then you'll come in and do that. That sets up the last person who has the kill shot. Um, so yeah, a lot of fun. A <laughs> lot of fun. The theater of the mind people are are crying right now. <laughs> yeah. well, okay, so that's kind of... Okay, so just... It is a misquote because you can... The, the best part about D&D is you play it how you want. I sure. prefer... I'm a theater kid, sort of, you know, not like some of our other friends are as more deeply theater kid than me. Sure. But I'm the theater kid. Like, I yeah. want to go in there and have a good time, like, and and just create story. But there is something when you're playing D&D, getting your buddy on the board. And when you're doing combat, I like when the combat feels tactile. But mm. the rest of it is fun to just be like blabbing an ear off here or there. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. I'm with you. I, I just I demand that everyone is silent until combat starts, and then <laughs> once it's done, I just say, "Brian, advance the story to the next combat." <laughs> Plot hammer. <laughs> All right. So, speaking of advancing the story, final duel. She is captured. Um, she is tortured. See, that's what I mean, though. If she was as powerful as they try and make her out to be, the fact that she even gets captured at all, just you know. Did you ever think that she wanted to be captured? It was part of the plan. Okay, part of me, that's, I had thought that. But then there's like a bunch of times where it's like that, at what point is this helpful? Like when she's thrown in the pit, like she's only saved because the bird is so good. The bird is the real hero here. The bird is epic. Yeah, um, love and, that bird. And it is amazing. So the bird saves her the first time um, when she's about to be killed and then... When she fights the barbarian leader, a bird saves her again, um, taking damage, taking a lot of damage uh, in the midst of it. But she is able to kill the barbarian leader. I love it. Um, she both, she puts his spinning thing on his neck to kill him. And then you can't see it because you're seen behind his head. She puts her fist like through his face and just like oh, pulls really? it out. And it's just covered with green goo. Um, awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So now she is going to climb up onto the bird and begin riding over the Lochnar volcano, which says, You cannot destroy me. And then she holds her sword aloft. It alights with lightning. Everything is going crazy. She's destroying that. We cut to the farmhouse, and the little girl runs outside. Did you guys notice that the farmhouse explosion was practical? That it was like not animated? Mm -hmm. I did not notice that. 
Yeah, they ran out of budget. They didn't have time to actually <laughs> animate that, so they literally just blew it up and made it dark. Uh, oh, <laughs> and it worked, apparently. Uh, so and we have the girl now is standing kind of on the you know farmland, um, and she hears the call of the bird, um, and she climbs onto it. And the spirit of time is transferred across the universe to a new defender. And the power of evil is contained for another generation. And a new Terrakian is born to protect the next. Credits. Wait, and who's talking there? Because it was the Loch Nahr the entire rest of the movie. <laughs> right. So suddenly a new narrator is introduced right at the very end. I think it's a different narrator at the beginning and the end. Oh. Okay. okay. Brian, who would Tilda Swinton play <laughs> in heavy metal? I mean, my first thought was Harry Canyon. Uh, I thought that would have been... I thought that would have been uh, it would have been really funny to see her like um, or to, to hear her, I guess, uh, voice over like a dude, with, a dude with a pot belly and, a, you know, and a two week, a two week beard and say yes. stars and stripes forever. Yeah. Oh, like she did in Suspiria, right? Doesn't she play that old man in Suspiria? Spoilers oh, for yeah. Suspiria. But <laughs> sorry, Megan, you can cut <laughs> completely that. ruined. Yeah. The whole time I was watching Suspiria, I'm like, who the fuck is that actor? Like, why are why are they putting somebody in makeup for this character? What is going on? That was like when I watched Pearl. And I was like, why would they do this? Anyways. Oh, I didn't see it. That's fine. I didn't see that either. Okay. That's also spoiled. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not at all a spoiler. All right. Uh, let's see. Who was that? Who just went? Me. Uh, Brian. Good job, Brian. Catcher. Great, great job, Brian. Way to go. Uh, Harry Canyon. Good job. I... I guess maybe the captain, what's his name? Captain oh, Stern. Uh, Stern. Yeah. I've I, got an angle. <laughs> yeah, I think she can be conniving, you know, and I like totally. it'd be great to sort of uh, see. Uh, yeah, I think that's good. I'm into that. I love it. I love it. I, as usual, I'm discovering this pattern. Hex has got me like totally nailed. Den and Dan. Like, I want to hear her both as the nerdy. Teenager oh. um, and as the barbarian hero, I think it would be hilarious. Oh, yeah, that would be good, actually. Boom. Love it. All right. What do you think, guys? Can we do some voicemails? Please. Do it. Get it going. All right. We're here ready. we go. Here is the first voicemail. Greetings, Hatcheranians. The heavy metal soundtrack features a couple of songs from the legendary pioneers of the genre, Black Sabbath. Here's three stories about Sabbath. Two are false. One is true. Time for the truth saying. Number one, Black Sabbath did so much cocaine. One year on Tony Iommi's birthday, Ozzy Osbourne surprised the birthday boy with a dinner plate full of white powder. Turned out to be powdered sugar. And Tony was not happy. Number two, Tony once blew up some of Richard Branson's prized pheasants in an attempt to destroy a small building as a practical joke while recording on Branson's estate in England. Band ended up detonating an outbuilding that housed some expensive birds. Iomi said he was not happy at all. Or number three, in their early days, the band was asked by a group of Satanists to play their Night of Satan celebrations at Stonehenge. The band refused. 
and they were told that they'd been placed under a satanic hex. Ozzy took this seriously. He asked his dad to make the group of some aluminum crosses, which the group got blessed and wore around the clock for protection. Those mm. are the three stories. Which Ooh. one is true? Ooh. Mm. Catcher. Ooh, I want to go three, but I'm going to go with one. I'm going to go wow. with one. Wow. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. You think fake Coke? I can't imagine them ever wanting to do fake Coke. So No, I think uh, the point of the story is that they didn't want to do fake Coke, and they were mad <laughs> at the practical joke. So I, I'm going to go with that. All right. Uh, Brian. Uh, number one and number three both seem a little on the nose for me. So I'm going to go with number two, the birds. I am also going with number two. Let's see what happened. Well, which one of those three stories about Black Sabbath is true? It wasn't number one. No powdered sugar. It was probably real cocaine. Uh It wasn't number two. The band blew up Richard Branson's lake, which had some very expensive carp in it. It was number three, turning down Satanists. That is always a bad idea, especially who wouldn't want to play at Stonehenge. Here ends the truth saying. Beautiful. Beria, you got me again. Son of a bitch. It was my one my one chance and I and I blew it. I know. I we need to I we need to institute a policy where we all have to take different ones so at least someone can be right. Otherwise we're we're gonna like got got every week. All right, here is our next voicemail. Is this Escape Hatch's first fake movie that's made up? <laughs> oh boy. I think it is. So we had a hackers and then real genius and Popeye. And now we have Heavy Metal, which is, I watched this in the Chuckle Pod. This is a movie that I've apparently seen in the same way that, you know, you memorize the hallucinations you have when you had high temperatures as a child. (laughs) Guys, this is not a real movie. I don't know if you guys even know at this point. You couldn't possibly be covering all of these fake movies as often as you are if you knew. You know, I I, I believe in good faith. Mm. This movie is made up. John Candy made it up as a joke to see if people would actually believe that it was real. And we've all fallen for it. This is a, this is a made up movie. I know it keeps happening and I'm sorry, but I just need you guys to know that I'm always keeping track. Mm-hmm. You know, these things don't get past me. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy at all. The fungus man growing into my wall says I'm not crazy. He says I'm perfectly sane. If I eat enough, sawdust in each square meal i'll be able to see through time he says that makes me the least crazy person in the world (laughs) i don't know where you're going barnabas uh but i want to make sure you're getting out enough are you getting enough sunshine (laughs) i feel like this is a like a story inside an issue of heavy metal (laughs) or uh what was the stephen king one uh, with the green goo from outer space and the black monster on the uh, on the lake, you know the oh. the short stories. Come on, yeah, yeah. Discord, well, help. Ske- skeleton key. No, oh I- god, guys, how can three of us not be coming up with this? And Discord's <laughs> not helping. <laughs> Flubber. Tales from the crypt. Tales from the crypt. Tales from the crypt. Yes. Now, creep show. Creep show. Yes. Creep show. There we go. Okay. There you go. All Got right. it. We did, we did a great job there. Hooray! Good job, everybody. <laughs> All right, here's our next voicemail. Hello, Escape Hatch. It's Kev here. We're talking this week about Heavy Metal, an anthology that shockingly did not involve Ralph Bakshi at all, despite everybody cramping his style just a little bit. 
to make this bizarre movie. Kev's question. My first encounter with heavy metal was in a briefcase full of old issues of Omni and heavy metal from my late uncle. And I clearly shouldn't have been reading them. I was looking over my shoulder the whole time. I think once my mom found out about them, they went right in the trash. Kev's question. No. Was there ever a non-pornographic, not porn, no, not <laughs> porn, holy grail that you had to keep from your folks? I have another one. Oh. I taped the South Park movie off Comedy Central one night, and I was super hyped to watch it. I was like, no one will stop me. I will watch this tape. And then the next day was August 14th, 2003, which is the day that the entire New York area, including Long Island, where I'm from, was out of power for days. So, I mean, God told me no, but I, I did watch it anyway. So holy grails that you had to keep from your folks that you watched or read in secret, and it's not porn, please. <laughs> I mean, if, it, if it's heavy metal, then that's another thing, but uh, I don't want to hear about porn. Thank you, guys. Peace and love. Brian Mosley, shout out to you. Let's catch up sometime. When is H coming back to New York? I've given up on Jason. And shout out to the editing team and the Chuckle Hut. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Once again, it's Kev's Questions. Catcher. Yeah. What did you hide from your parents other than the party that you threw at their house when they were out of town? <laughs> That's right. That was the biggest one. Um, I The only th the first thing that comes to mind, I feel like I've maybe said this story recently, but maybe it was to someone else. Um, my parents rented, um, oh my God. What's that movie with Michelle Pfeiffer? She's a teacher. Dangerous Minds. Uh-huh. They had rented Dangerous Never seen it. They had rented Dangerous Minds. <laughs> uh it's a story about a teacher in like a you know, inner city school. It's Coolio, I know. And Coolio, was, that's right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So that, I must have been you know, like in the first grade maybe or second grade like at most I would think. Mm. Um when they rented it and I got up extremely early the next day cuz they wouldn't let me. And to I watch it? and I snuck downstairs at like five in the morning, and and I watched it before my dad got up, which was a feat all in itself. Um, How was it? I remember liking it fine. I was also like in second grade, so it's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen it. But at the time, I was like, "Whoa, this is cool, <laughs> amazing." Yeah, nice job, well done. Thank you, Brian. I'm gonna I'm gonna tip my hat to our D and D fans here in in Discord. Um, when I was I don't know 14. I was spending a lot. I was spending way too much money on D and D stuff, and um, and I very distinctly remember my parents saying, "Enough is enough. Don't buy any more." And then I, I don't know. I somehow I snuck some money. I, I mowed the lawn or whatever and got some money, and I went and bought um, modules I three, I four, and I five, the Desert of Desolation series okay. of a, you know AD and D. Um, and is that like June influenced or what? Uh, I mean, it was set in a desert, so, uh, I don't, <laughs> so I, yes, not sure about any, any more similarities than that, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, there was, there was cool vehicles as well. So, you know, there's a similarity, but, um, but those were the things where I, um, I went and bought them, like I made my own money and I went and bought them, but I, um, I needed to hide them from my parents so that they uh, wouldn't know that I'd broken their edict. And because of that, that series um, had like a special place in my heart for, you know, uh, the entire, my entire D and D career. They republished TSR republished it, uh, down the line as one of those like omnibus, uh, you know, 150 page repackage set in the forgotten yeah. realms sort of situations. Third edition, um, fourth edition, fifth edition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. no, 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 I was still, uh, yeah, it was maybe three. 
Um, okay. but, uh, but it got the treatment and all new art and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, 15 years after the originals. So sadly, but also, in a in a in a weird way, cool. That's my, that's the thing I had to hide from my parents. D and D. Hmm. Quick sidebar. Um, I was going through stuff. We had some organizers that have been working, uh, through all like the garage and the studio and like just purging stuff and then putting stuff into neat plastic boxes and stuff in drawers. And I got rid of a ton of games today. I got rid of all my, like, um, you know, uh, Give, give me the brain and all that stuff. But also one of the ones that took a hit was keep on the shadow fell, which was the very first third edition module that we played with Meepo. Uh, the little, mm-hmm. I'll like, bring my ladder method or whatever. Um, for me, it's technically not pornography, although there was a lot of sex in it, uh, as well as a lot of violence. It's Excalibur. Um, and uh-huh. the many times that I watched Excalibur without, letting my folks know. Speaking of Excalibur. Escape hat. Hey, this is Corey calling from Austin, Texas about 1981 super radical animation and animation animated film, heavy metal Y'all know this is a total favorite of mine. I mean, come on. We've been talking about this one in the Discord since, like, Doompod started. And now here we are with the rebrand, and Heavy Metal has finally made its appearance. I love this film. It's, like, super nostalgic. Um, Once again, my babysitter, Mary, who you may remember from uh, after Popeye sneaking in to go see (laughs) Stir Crazy Uh uh, and also breaking into a boyfriend's apartment with her, lent me her vinyl of heavy metal back when I was a kid. Whoa. Uh, I was already familiar with a lot of the bands that were featured in the film because I was a total rock kid and new wave kid. Um, But yeah, man, I love this movie so much. The animation's cool. I know it's you know, gets attacked a lot for being kind of juvenile and misogynist and sadistic and blah, blah, blah. But those kind of things ring my bell sometimes. So, um, animation's great. All the source material is awesome. I used to go to a 7-Eleven by my house. I used to walk there and just read heavy metal and epic illustrated magazines right off the rack. Play Donkey Kong Jr. and just kind of hang (laughs) out. It's so weird to think that I just hang out at at the 7-Eleven. You know what else I would do at the convenience store? My mom would send me with a note. This is in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, with a note that said, please allow my son to, to buy, buy me cigarettes. one pack of Benson and Hedges <laughs> Light 100. That cigarette, folks, she would send me with money and a note to buy cigarettes at 7-Eleven for. Probably says a lot why I like heavy metal so much. Anyway, uh, I love this movie. I already said that a million times. Who would tell the foot and play? She'd have to play the Lochnar, right? I mean, Ooh. come on. Whoa. And the guy who voiced the Lochnar, Shit. Uh, Percy Rodriguez, he is a super famous voiceover uh, movie trailer guy. I think he did all the Jaws movie trailers and a whole ton of other ones. Look wow. it up. He's amazing. All right. I love you guys. I love Escape Hatch. Jason, we'll see you soon. Can't wait for your return. It's not the same without you, but thankfully, all the great folks are holding it down. All right. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. That's right. I remember that. They mentioned that in the behind the scenes that they had heard someone doing like the trailer voiceover and they're like, we need to get that guy. That's the guy. Really? We need. Yes. That's right. I remember that now. Yeah. Wow. Did, uh, 
did anybody mention in the in the documentary how Donald Fagan snuck onto the the soundtrack? One of these things is not like the others. Uh huh. <laughs> but his stuff well, is great. Both sure. of his tracks are really good. Sure, thematically inconsistent. Fair enough. Fair enough. Corey, thank you so much. We love you. I love the fact that like, um, I I feel like I'm starting to get like an old married couple with Corey. Like I've heard the cigarette story and I love, I love it. Tell it again. Like anytime. Thank you, Corey, uh, for being part of this pod. Not shocking that this would be high up on. Not shocking at all. You know, like this feels very much like a Corey, like a love fest. Definitely. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Brian, what do you have to plug buddy? Uh, I got nothing interesting to plug. I, um, I just left my, my corporate Borg job and went to start a new thing and it's fun, but it's also, it's, it's not, uh, I'm working in insurance technology now. So it, it, on the surface, it's not particularly, um, interesting, but, uh, corner me in a bar. Kev maybe, uh, is the most likely to do this. And I will talk you off on how cool generative AI is. Mm. all right nice i like it i like it congratulations on like throwing off the corporate shackles um and going you're you're co-founder chief technology officer this is you back in your startup wheelhouse it's great to see you buddy thank you congrats down with the borg you know (laughs) yeah exactly good that's good night borg catcher yes what do you have to plug uh same as i guess in theory last week uh, my website is uh, catcherlives.com so you can go there and see all of uh, links to my reviews and stuff as I'll well. link to that instead of your Twitter account next time sure yeah that's cool uh, you okay. get to my Twitter from there as well and then obviously there's a link there to Citanauts which is still in a fumbling hiatus but please take a listen to our back catalog we, we have a bunch of really great episodes there um, and uh, yeah if you have a podcast and you're looking for someone who loves movies and you need a <laughs> guest host because yours is off on assignment give me a shout i'm here i'm ready so i love it jason watch out like no, uh, no, you know be, be careful on assignment you gotta watch out catcher is making moves absolutely not please jason we miss you and uh hope all is well sending love and get get back here as soon as you can because h is gonna have a is gonna have a panic attack really soon Catcher is sensually putting on his gear and pulling out his sword and, and ready for action. <laughs> Daggers <laughs> in the dark. I could never replace Jason. <laughs> you never. And that's it for this episode of Escape Patch. I want to thank Catcher and Brian for an amazing conversation. Next week, Ryan Condal returns and we tackle one of the greatest films of all time. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us, because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want, and a Patreon where you can support us and unlock exclusive perks. Links are in the show notes. Escape Patch is a tape deck podcast, John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Scott Fritz and Who's the Boss Music. The episode was edited by Megan Hayward of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. See everybody next week. If you please me, I may let you live. Uh Uh-oh. 
What must I do? Satisfy my appetites. Wow. 18 years of nothing and now twice in one day. What a place.